I'm Ebony K. Williams, your attorney at law and host. Welcome to Holding Court, where we analyze the very latest legal headlines everybody's already talking about. We dig into how the courts impact the culture. We break it all down for you, and we go straight from gavel to your news feed. And I promise you this, y'all, every single week, we're going to keep it a buck, keep it 100. Right, Dustin Ross? That's right, Ebony. Let's go ahead and hold court. Let's do it. Dustin, my love, how was your weekend? Listen, Ebony, it was 80 damn degrees on Sunday in New York City. So <laughs> how do you think my weekend was? <laughs> Listen, I know you were a hot boy in the streets. I saw your Instagram. I, just, a, just a little bit. I was actually- Chest out, uh, with your chest out. I just, saw you. A, just a teensy, weensy <laughs> bit. I had to get it. It's a little piece of the action, you know, but it was great. How was your weekend, E? It was really lovely. Um, I am so happy to be back in New York City. Praise be to God above. Yes. Um, yes. No shade to Miami. Um, but I'm just, <laughs> it's it's like I get off the plane, Dustin, and my swag just hits different. It's you know? an automatic feeling that you get. It is. Automatic. It is. Yes. Well, that's wonderful. I saw you looking good on Wendy's show. Oh, thank you, my mm-hmm. love. Yeah, you know, Miss Wendy, what do you think about um what do you think about that interview with Miss Wendy? Listen, I think that you are a consummate professional. And I think that no matter what is lobbed your way in conversation, you know how to steer your things on the right track. And that's exactly what you did. And not only did you do it that way, you was dripping in all that ball mind. Okay. <laughs> you know, that was dripping. just a, a little just light work that my style I team said, put together. Look at my friend. I said, you know what? This is why. This is why we ready for you, Ebony. Thank you, baby. No, it was great. You know, Wendy's always a trip, but she is. She's the media mm-hmm. mogul she is because she serves that uh, unique brand of uh, intrigue and shade and all the things yeah. we love Wendy for. Yeah. And it was fun. It was great. And it's yeah. always cool. You know, one thing that I love about doing shows like Wendy, this is true of The Breakfast Club, um, it hits live when it airs, but then mm-hmm. the conversation around the content grows over days because it really lives um, on social, you know? And so mm-hmm. people are still engaging with me around that amazing combo with Woody. Wonderful. Yeah. And a lot of people really now curious around some of the, because that was really the first time D, as mm-hmm. you know, that I spoke publicly about what happened with my engagement. Yes, um, I do. Yeah. And so, you know, of course people are going to see this play out starting this week on Roni. Um, but it was it was a unique experience for me to open up that side of myself. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. You were I, great. You were great, Ebony. It was very comfortable. You. It felt like we were talking to a friend. Yeah. So it was great, Ebony. Thank you, baby. So I had fun on that. And then I, I really enjoyed um, Sunday because mm-hmm. I woke up and I went to get my coffee and I took my little fur baby, Carrie, down the street. She was acting my. bad as hell and um, <laughs> spoiled ass. Um, and I, I had to go to the newsstand. And, and get what, Ebony? And get a copy of the New York Post. And I said, that's what it was so crazy. Like, real, right? Yeah, because people were texting me because, I, you know, like not to sound naive, but like mm-hmm. I knew that the spread, obviously I shot the spread. I did the interview. I knew they were going to do a two page spread. What yeah. I didn't know was that they were actually going to put, you know, a little bit of me on the front page, front which was amazing. Page, baby, a cover girl. You better ask somebody. Oh, front babe. page of the New York Post, girl. Look at you, Ebony. It's dope. Yeah. So it's sitting on my um, coffee table right now. I got only could get my hand on three copies, child. They don't print press like they used to, baby. I'm they sorry. don't. Because I went to the uh, newsstand around my way and they didn't have any. So how What? About, no New See, York Post. 
trifling. So, everything's online now, but but you want to archive special moments like that. Yeah, you know, you know yeah. my mom's going to come in town for Mother's Day, so I have to yeah. get a copy for Gloria's ass. Um, yes, yes. Because I know she's going to want one. So yeah, so um, it was a great, great weekend. I feel very calm, to be honest. Like a lot of people yeah. are like, how do you feel? How do you feel? I feel blessed. I feel humbled. I feel like shit. We, I started filming this um, with my castmates in September of 2020, peak mm-hmm. pandemic. Mm-hmm. So it just feels really, I don't know, like full circle to as mm-hmm. we are slowly but surely coming out of this pandemic, you know, with our vaccinations, with our new CDC uh, guidelines that say we can, you know, if you're vaccinated in full, you can be maskless outside. Like the world is opening up, Dustin. And as the world opens up to now be able to share this thing that we all worked really fucking hard to put together during the pandemic, it just feels very humbling, honestly, just really humbling, really excited. Well, we're ready for you, Ebony. I think this is going to be an amazing ride for you. And I cannot wait for the world to see why we all love you. So this is great. Great, 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 great. Thank you, baby. That's what I was uh, telling to my very best friend of uh, 20 something years, uh, Christina Jackson. I have two, her Mm -hmm. and Nichelle. So I was telling Christina, I was like, you know, are you ready for the world to see how fucking crazy your best friend is? Because that's what what she was like. That's what's exactly about that. And I will say jurors have a sneak peek because y'all do see... At least fifty percent of my crazy on holding mm-hmm, court. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, it's a it's a process, Dustin. It's a process. Well, we're ready for it, girl. We're ready for it. I'm gonna tell you what else I'm ready for. Getting into today's docket, Dustin. I'm ready yes. for this motherfucking Derek Chauvin's ass to be sentenced to to prison. I'm very Let's ready for throw, that. Throw him under the jail. Throw him under the prison. Well, I'm gonna tell you who thinks like you, and that is uh, Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison. He right. actually is ready for Chauvin's ass to be under the jail. So much so, D, that he's actually filed. Um, a brief saying as much, saying that Mm -hmm. in addition to whatever standard sentencing uh, Chauvin's looking at, uh, which is, listen, he's going to be sentenced for the highest charge he was convicted of, which is second degree murder, a very serious charge. Um, He could be looking at up to 30 years, 40 years, but because he's a first time offender, uh, he would be looking at probably more realistically 15 years or less. But uh, A.G. Keith Ellison is saying, you know what? What Derek Chauvin did and has been convicted of is so egregious that it warrants what the law calls an aggravated sentence. Let me tell you what an aggravated sentence is, D. It says that basically, if I can prove these five elements, uh, then he should be sentenced above the average sentencing range. And I got to tell you, Dustin Ross, I was happy to see it because I agree with A.G. Keith Ellison here the way in which Derek Chauvin killed brother George Floyd uh, was not reasonable. It was not normal. And so the sentence should not be reasonable. It should be aggravated. So here are the five things. Ellison says that uh, George Floyd was killed while he was in a particularly vulnerable position. He was a vulnerable victim. Why? Because he was literally on the ground. Uh, as as he was uh, killed and having the breath snuffed out of him by Derek Chauvin's knee. He was uh, in a position of significant risk of asphyxiation, which is exactly mm-hmm. what he died of. So that's the first thing. George Floyd was vulnerable. Number two, he was treated with particular cruelty. And the officers heard him crying out for his very life and to breathe air. And they ignored those, those pleas for help. So that's number two, particular cruelty. Number three, 
Derek Chauvin, as an officer, abused his position of authority. That's a big one. Right. Because it's the inverse of what sometimes it feels the law is interpreted as, as if law enforcement gets more protection uh, than the average citizen. It really should be the opposite, D. It should be if, if, if you or I go out and kill someone, my God, that's horrible. But the very people society charges with protecting and they actually impute murder, they should be sentenced much harsher. I agree. And, and that's what Keith Ellison's arguing. Mm-hmm. Number mm-hmm. four, Derek Chauvin committed the crime as a part of a group of three or more persons who all mm-hmm. actively participated in the crime. And we know that to be the case because the other three motherfuckers are going to be tried later on this year. That's right. And number five, four of the individuals who witnessed the death of brother George Floyd were minors. One Dustin is young as nine years old at the time. Jesus Christ. Um, so that infliction of emotional trauma and stress to children a particularly aggravating factor. Um, so those are the five aggravators. Uh, how much time do you want uh, shopping to get, Dustin? If you were to uh, judge, what would he get? The maximum possible sentence for each one of the charges all added together. Okay, mm. that's what his ass would get. What you said I love you want him to most, run consecutive. Okay. Oh, consecutive, not concurrent, consecutive. <laughs> right. mm. This, what I love the most about this is this is the type of work that we need to see these people doing that are in these positions to do this type of work. Mm-hmm. As state attorney general, releasing a brief like this or submitting a brief like this is exactly what you need. These five bullets sound to me like, let me make it crystal clear for you motherfuckers that this motherfucker is a murderer, mm-hmm. okay? Let me add in these extra details like the fact that a nine-year-old child witnessed Mm. this and and is Mm going to be, you know, subject to trauma, PTSD from this. All of these things are really just kind of rubbing it in. And I love that. I love that we're we're really conveying the, the, the magnitude of just how horrible and how horrific this crime, this murder was. I love this. Love it is. It is. And it's important what you said too, Dustin, which is this is being done through the discretion. Of mm-hmm. the elected attorney general Keith Ellison. See mm-hmm. how different his ass is than that motherfucker in Kentucky, uh Daniel yes. Cameron. Yes. Take take a note, Daniel Cameron. This is what justice looks like. This is um, the work. This is the work. And and I love the language. He's so uh, articulate and specific in, in highlighting the aggravation here. In the brief, uh, Keith Ellison and his office say this, Chauvin continued to press his knee into Mr. Floyd's neck and upper back until he was no longer speaking or breathing, and until he no longer had a pulse. See what he does there? It's almost like you can see it. Like you you can can visualize it it and feel it. And that's compelling. That is what we call persuasive legal writing. And we appreciate you, uh, Brother Ellison, for for the work that you are doing. Uh, Another little quick update on the case of, of Derek Chauvin's ass is that, you know, a lot of folks were curious as to whether or not he would appeal and if it would be successful I just want to say once again, uh, don't even worry about that, y'all. And I actually had a conversation, for real, I had a conversation with uh, the great brother, legal titan, Chris Stewart, who's a longtime friend of mine. uh, Yep, a very high profile attorney, one of the many lawyers representing the Floyd family. I talked to him Mm -hmm. on Revolt Black News, Dustin, and he said that that's not even something you should give energy to. None of us should be concerned about this appeal. It's going to be dead in the water. Mm -hmm. And one of the additional reasons it's going to be dead on arrival is because the jurors, a few of them, are speaking out. Um, Yes. And there was a a, a brother by the name of Brandon Mitchell. He was juror number 52. He -hmm. gave an interview to CBS News' Gail King. And he said something that was so 
emotionally heavy, Dustin. He said this. He said, uh, it wasn't the pressure to come to a guilty verdict, but we were stressed because of the simple fact that every day we had to come in and watch a black man die. That alone is stressful. So anything outside of that was secondary, just because as a human, it's natural to feel some kind of way as you're watching somebody in agony. And he goes on to say this, but it had a personal impact on me. There was a few days where I was like, I don't know how I'm going to make it in the next day, especially me as a black man and a larger black man. Mm -hmm. I'm about 6'4", 250 pounds. And some of the testimonies, like saying, how could he be considered a risk or a threat? Whereas I'm a gentle giant and stuff mm-hmm. like that affects me in ways that is weird. Uh, and I don't know if it affected anyone else in the same way. Once again, Dustin, just, I know, I know. And I mean, I'm black, but I'm not a black man. I, I just yeah. want to ask you what that feels like for you to hear your fellow black man express that agony. It feels it's heartbreaking for me because it's something that it's a sentiment that I identify with and understand. Now, I may not be six, four, but I'm six, one. You know, yeah, you're, I mean? you're, you're, listen, so, you're, no, you're no shrinking violent, you know, you, yeah, you have presence, you have. Presence. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I think about this when I'm walking down sidewalks in New York City, um, when I'm passing the police, I, I get a, a, a shivering, a chill that washes over me because I never I just never know if it's going to be me. So I identify with this um, completely. And when he said what, what really stuck out to me um, beyond his, his personal account of his experience was when he said that anything outside of, of, of that was sex secondary because mm. just as a human it's right. natural to feel some kind of way as you're watching someone in agony ebony that's that that is really it that's what we've been trying to convey to all of these people as we watch numerous black people die in the streets person what? after person name after name you don't feel that when you watch these people in agony and watch these people losing their life he made such a great point in that in his statement i just Really well, it's it's worry. a simple point, but you're right, Dustin. It's really the almost singular point we need to be focused with because it comes down to one word, and that is humanity. Thank you. That is humanity. And but see, here's where it gets nuanced. Of course, this brother, Brandon Mitchell, sees the humanity in his fellow mm-hmm. brother George Floyd because he knows it personally. The problem is, and this is where I almost get, I gotta watch myself, Dustin, because I almost get upset. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. it felt like it took so many folks in the in America and the world, and especially white America, to see George Floyd in the most, and we talked about this on, I want to say, the first episode of Hold It Clear, yeah. right? In mm-hmm. the most um, subservient, vulnerable, vulnerable position imaginable. Humanly possible. <laughs> on the ground, just sub, totally subjugated to the authority of whiteness. Mm-hmm. For them to even contemplate this black man's humanity. And then it was like, oh my God, what they've been saying has been true. And I think the problem is, is that absent it being George Floyd under those circumstances, far too many black people and especially black men, Dustin, are still not afforded that humanity, that simple, basic humanity. So that when people other than a Brandon Mitchell, other than a fellow black man or other than a fellow black woman, and hell, I break it breaks my heart to say what I'm about to say, but I gotta say it. Say Sometimes it. folks that look like us mm-hmm. don't recognize our own humanity. Oftentimes. Right? Because we've been conditioned and indoctrined with those same uh white supremacy notions. 
yeah. um, that strip one another of that that ability to be humanized. So I'm going to get off my soapbox, but I, I just want us to really tune into that. What you're saying right now, Dustin, is that this is really about our ability to sit with one another's humanity. And hopefully, Dustin, we get to a place where we don't have to be in the most dire, egregious, life-threatening circumstances yes. to relish in that humanity. Yes. I'm going I'm to I'm breathe for a minute. With that, I, I do want us to go to break. We're going to pay some bills. We're going to come back. And then we're going to talk about um, a case that you, you and I both have been watching closely. And that is what's going on, uh, the legal goings on of the state of Michael Jackson. Uh, y'all know how I feel about Michael Jackson, but I'm going to put that, that personal feeling on the shelf um, to give y'all some real honest legal analysis when we come back. You got much more holding court in a minute. All right, y'all, welcome back to Holding Court. Now, a lot of uh, jurors were in my DMs, Dustin. I don't know if they were up in yours. They were mm-hmm. begging for us to cover this, and of course, we are going to. That's so, right. yes, y'all saw the headlines. Another legal victory for the estate of Michael Joseph Jackson. Yes. Uh, yes, you, Michael Joseph Jackson. Joseph, okay. Joseph. Mm-hmm. Don't call him daddy. It's mm-hmm. Joseph. Second okay. of his name. There you go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So basically what happened was uh, Los Angeles County Superior Court Judge Mark A. Young, he dismissed uh, the charge of Wade Robson. Uh, I'll get to exactly who that is in a minute for those of you that don't know. Wade sued the estate of Michael Jackson back in 2013 under a pretty interesting legal argument, D. He's basically saying this. Um, He's saying that Michael Jackson's estate, particularly these two business entities, MJJ Productions and MJJ Ventures. Okay. So those are two distinct legal entities, both under the domain control and executive leadership of Michael Jackson himself during, of course, his years alive and subsequent the estate. Wade is saying that because those business entities had a duty to protect him from harm as he engaged with Michael Jackson throughout his childhood and adolescence, I'll get to that in a minute, Um, They failed to do so because he claims, of course, he was molested by Michael and thus he should be paid out. That's the legal claim. Let me tell you about who Wade Wade Robson is for those Please, who don't know. I was gonna say you got it, or you want me to do it? No, actually, you you go ahead. No, and no, start. no, you go, you go good because you know which way. You know which way I'm gonna go with this. So let's get okay. the business out the way first. Let's get the business out the way, and Thank then you me. go ham. Yeah, then you yeah. go ham, Dustin. Okay, so Wade was a dance prodigy. Okay, met Michael Jackson. He was a wee bit five years old. He, uh, you know, you if you go back and look at old archive footage of Michael and performances, you will see this little Wade's ass, okay, on the stage and dancing and all this stuff. Wade then went on to have a huge career as a choreographer and dancer himself. Choreographed, of course, for Britney Spears, In Sync, blah 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 blah. Even had a little show for a hot minute. I think it was called mm-hmm. the Wade uh, Robson Project. Yes, all these it was. things. Yes. Okay. Uh, was a judge, I believe, on dancing. Not uh, what you call it? you. So you think you can dance? Yep. Yep. So he was a big deal, okay? Um, and quiet is kept. They said that that was who Britney cheated with. Um, oh, on Justin. On Justin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's way. profile. He would be in some mess <laughs> like that, but go ahead. <laughs> Cry mm-hmm. me a river, Dustin. Mm-hmm. Okay, so <laughs> that's Wade. Uh, and now Wade, and, and here's another big, to me, chunky, important fact that goes to Wade's credibility. So Wade first testified in Michael's uh criminal molestation case back in 2005. 
But get this, as you know, Dustin, he testified in Michael's defense. He was 23 years old at the time. And he said that he also slept in Michael's bed and maintained there was never, ever, ever any molestation by Michael Jackson. And I got some quotes from the testimony. This is straight from the transcript because I really wanted to know what he said, Dustin. Mm -hmm. It's important. It's important. So uh, Michael Jackson's lawyer, uh, Wade, has Mr. Jackson ever molested you? Quote from Wade, absolutely not. And I can tell you right now that if he had, I wouldn't be here right now. Okay, this is him on the witness stand under sworn oath. Then Jackson's lawyer says, has Mr. Jackson ever touched you in a sexual way? Want to know what he said, Dustin? Never. I would never stand for it. Now, I'm not saying whether that's accurate or not. I just know at 23 years old, you put your hand on a Bible and you said this was the God sworn truth. So that either means you were lying then or you're lying now. Mm -hmm. And at a minimum, okay, because I wasn't there. So I'm not about to sit up here and say what Michael Jackson did or didn't do. I just cannot do that. Mm -hmm. But what I will tell you is Wade Robson has some major credibility issues there because there is at some point deception. That's a fact. That's yeah. a fact. And that's a position he put himself in, Dustin. Now, go off. Well, here's the thing, and I'm going to make this short and sweet. Yeah. A lot of times you have to consider the source. Again, I think it is it is um, very important for us to make it clear that we are by no means negating anyone's sexual abuse claims here. Hail to what the we are doing is discussing the the tangible, verifiable things on record, okay, mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. that, that tend to give us a window as to who Wade Robson is. Things like... The fact that he was actually dating one of Michael Jackson's nieces, Jackie's uh, daughter, for seven Ooh. years, I think it was. Same and that was during the time when it was rumored that Britney cheated on um, Justin Timberlake with him mm. during that time. See, he's had so many ties. Yeah, he's had so they were together for like seven years, uh, um, Ebony. Wow. He had so many ties to the Jackson family. It's almost like he was just clinging to this. Um, chance at stardom and chance at alignment with a superstar like that. His mm. story has changed not once, not twice, but I believe three times on record now. Yes. Um, yes. It continues to change. And it, I believe that it's wasting everyone's time. And the reason that it pisses me off so much is because there are so many people who are, are you know, making outcries for help, yes. who are victims of sexual abuse, sexual assault at the hands of celebrities, at the hands of regular everyday Joes. So it just, it just is offensive to me. It is something that is really disgusting. And this is a man who is deceased, who has children that are trying to find their way in this world. And you are continuing to keep this thing going unnecessarily, wasting legal resources, wasting time, money and people's emotions, man. So I just I have no respect for Wade Robinson, Wade Robson, excuse me. Yep. And I really want him to leave us alone. Figure it out. Go bust a move. Hit an eight count. Go drop it down. Get on TikTok. Do something with your dance. Do, do something else. But go on away from us with you, this. You're going to have to do something because it don't sound like he's going to ever get uh, any legal recourse It's not here. happening. It's, it's not, not happening. It's not. And I just want to put a button on what one thing that you said that's very important. We are never going to sit up here and discredit um, or minimize the trauma and pain of so many young people who really do suffer at the hands of sexual molestation. Never. never. Ever. Um, and in fact, the only reason that they were even able to continue these lawsuits because they were originally dismissed the... <clears throat> Uh, him and his basically, you know, kind of co-allegation uh, 
uh-huh. person, uh, this guy by the name of James Safechuck, and him and Wade were both the subjects of the 2020 HBO documentary, Leaving Neverland, which is currently being sued by the Jackson estate. We'll get to that in another episode of Holding Court. Um, mm-hmm. 2017, a judge dismissed him for statute of limitations expiration. I think very good news legislation in the state of California and has subsequently happened here in New York that we are extending those statute of limitations for victims of child abuse that say that, you know, listen, it's realistic that you might not remember your abuse or trauma until later in adulthood. So that's a wonderful legal development. Huge help. But it ain't going to help Wade. Why? Mm -hmm. Because, Because you're suing an estate for a dead man trying to get financial recourse, which mm-hmm. I understand if indeed your allegations are true, but the legal came, claim is weak, Dustin Ross, because you're Very claiming weak. that MJJ Productions and MJJ Ventures had a duty to protect you from harm, same as if the Boy Scouts of America or Girl Scouts of America or any kind of big organization needs to protect young people um, or people, period, right, from the, the torturous actions of its leaders, Yes. Well, the difference is, is MJJ Productions and MJJ Ventures were solely dominated and controlled and executed by Michael Jackson himself. They're not separate organizational entities mm. like Boy Scouts or, mm. you know, any other organization you could think of. So the judge said that dog doesn't hunt, legally speaking. Michael That's Jackson, it. those companies that you're speaking about had no exercise of control over Michael Jackson as an individual because they're his companies. Yeah. They're not outside entities. Um, so you're going to have to find another recourse. And here's the other thing. It's sad, but, but true. If indeed any of these allegations that Wade is making are true, Dustin, this is the problem with bringing them after the person is deceased. That person is not here to grant their own defense. They're not here to be cross-examined or, you know, there's no legal recourse around testing the veracity, uh, like the the viability rather of your allegation. So uh, potentially, unfortunately for Wade Robson, uh, it's just a no-go. And like you said, his, his ass gonna have to get on the TikTok or the- um, Figure it out. The Instagram or, or, or something, because legally this is a dead end for him. Yeah. Dead Good. end. <laughs> Although we've come to the end of the road. What a segue, huh? You know Although what? I like how you tease that up. Because when we come back, jurors, you know, Dustin is just sharp as hell today. Um, and, and really every day, but particularly today. Um, he's teasing that when we come back, we're going to get into all things Wanye Morris, Candy Burris. Round one. Okay, we're going to get into all of this. These two are are, are spilling a lot of tea and I find it very interesting, both legally and just for the culture. So we're going to talk about it when we come back for much more holding court after this. All right, y'all, welcome back to holding court. Now, most of y'all have seen on the Internet. There has been a a, a situation where Candy was being interviewed. I I just thought that this was legendary and not enough is being made about it. Who Mm -hmm. knew Eddie LaVert was out here interviewing folks? Like Me either. Man, and the brother looks good. Not for nothing. Because Eddie Eddie LaVert still looks good. Yes, he does. (sighs) Eddie LaVert got to be. Oh, Lord. It's at 80? I think in the 80s. I think he's got to be. And he looks good. And I think that 
if it was right he was sharp and he pushed he was he was giving me barbara walter vibes Mm -hmm. you know he pushed for the answer he wanted and not because okay so if you haven't seen it what justin and i are talking about is candy is being interviewed by eddie lavert and i believe his granddaughter yes yeah okay that was his granddaughter his granddaughter right and they're asking her if she ever in her prolific career as a, a, a performer and songwriter, if she ever ran into artists where there was a problem, if she had right. problematic in, engagement with particular artists. Right. And you could tell she doesn't really want to answer. She was sort of apprehensive. Yeah, Very <laughs> apprehensive. And Dustin, I think if it was anybody but Eddie Levert or yeah. Smokey Robinson, you know, or yeah. somebody of a that legend legendary like that. stature, mm-hmm. I don't think she would have answered it, but you're not going to not answer Eddie. No. So she was she she gave the tea and she said boys to men. And it was interesting because I just rewatched both Candy's uh interview with Eddie and then of course Wanye's interview with some individuals I'm not familiar with. Um and really interesting stuff. So Candy's like I had a falling out with boys to men and Eddie's like, well, they can sing, can't they? Which was just hilarious. Um, and she's like, oh, it wasn't the singing. It was their attitudes. And so she was vague. She pretty much just left it at that and just said they had a falling out because mm-hmm. of, I guess, an attitudinal difference in session. And remember, she, Ebony, she was like, I have never, she said it really quickly, but she's like, I never felt so disrespected in my life. She did say that. Remember which is that? a very profound, big statement coming from Candy Burris, who has worked with a wide scope I of was, artists. I was watching that and my mouth was literally just open. I was like, whoa, because I could, it happened so mm-hmm. quickly. I was like, I, I was just taking it all in. I couldn't believe that Candy Burris was telling us about some situation with fucking boys to men in the studio from back in the day. So yeah. I was all in. Well, yeah, like you said, that's a big statement. Never been so disrespected in my mm-hmm. life. Okay. So then, of course, got to watch what Wanye says. Two sides to every story. That's what my mama said. Mm-hmm. So we're watching and you could tell Wanye, I got the energy that he was still perturbed. Mm-hmm. De- definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Like he was definitely. Like, you know, on site, like not feeling the energy at all. So he goes on to say that here's really what the issue was. They were in session, like Boys to Men and Candy and Shakespeare, the yes. producer, of course, who I think he was indicating that Shakespeare and Candy were dating at the time. Which was Patty. And I, and the first time right. he said it, remember he said, that was her man. You know, I thought yeah, he was uh-huh. like her homie or whatever. No, he I think he was. down on that. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Which I think was intentional. I caught and that petty. too, Dustin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he did a couple petty things, but okay. <laughs> so he said that and they were all writing. Now, this is where it gets nuanced, jurors. Follow us here. Mm-hmm. So Wanye concedes that... He and Boys to Men would write a lyric. Candy, maybe Shakespeare would write a lyric. He concedes that Candy wrote the hook to yes, the song. Yes, he did. He said that. He said that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then he says this. This is a quote. We've been taught that you write a song and you split, which is the industry reference to songwriting credits, yes. down the middle. That way there's no discrepancies. We finished the song, and once we finished the song, she started talking about splits. And then in the next sentence, he backs that up, backpedals. Actually, the song wasn't finished, but she started talking about splits. Now, we're from the old school. This is Wanye still talking, y'all. We're from the A. You write a lyric, I'll write a lyric. It's really just about 
uh, building this whole thing together. And she started talking about splits. And we sat there and we're like, splits? First of all, we didn't even finish the song yet. We didn't even finish writing the song yet. Why would you talk about splits? And then if yeah. you, you listen to him in the actual interview that he gives on an IG Live, he goes on to basically say that he feels like, this is where I think he he was, he was um, what's the word? In his feelings. Yeah, because uh-huh. he mm-hmm. feels that, and I'm sure he's speaking on behalf of Boys to Men, that the talking about the business, because that's really what this shit's about, Dustin. Yeah. Candy is talking about the business. Yeah. And Wanye says that the bringing up of the business during the creative process stagnates. And that's the literal word he used. Stagnates yeah. the creative process. And that, I believe, is what we have here, ladies and gentlemen. That you've got boys to men, Wanye Morris in particular speaking on their behalf, talking about this thing from a creative standpoint. Then over here, you've got Candy Burris, who's dealing with this entire scenario from a business standpoint. And therein lies the conflict. That's it, Ebony. Therein lies the rub. And then Kanye, oh, I'm going to say Kanye, child. Wanye's ass goes on <laughs> to, to stipulate and concede mm-hmm. that quiet is kept. What Candy was proposing at that time is now industry standard, mm-hmm. which tells me, I don't know about you, Dust, but that tells me that Candy was positioned correctly the entire time. Clearly. She just was perhaps a little bit, either Candy was ahead of her time, or y'all's asses until the end of the road was slow about the shit. That's okay? right. And, and didn't understand. Mm-hmm. The minute that he said, Ebony, that Candy was right, which is basically what that was when he said exactly. that that's the you know industry practice, industry standard now, mm-hmm. that made me feel like, well, why even tell any of this story? <laughs> At this point, you could just be like, yo, guess what? Candy, we did have a disagreement back in the day. If she ended up being right, though, that's crazy. Yeah. I forgot about that shit. Much love to Candy. Boom, we kept it moving. He didn't do that. No. When he acknowledged that Candy was actually right, yes. it made everything else that he offered in that conversation- Boy void and ill-intentioned as mm. well. Ooh. So you're just talking shit at this point. You're sharing these details and adding these shady layers that I'll let you disclose, Ebony. But you're doing that for what, my nigga? Like you, You're literally just right. starting talking shit at this point because you didn't like the fact that she simply brought the situation up. Candy didn't share any details. She didn't name any members, you know, no, um, identify no any members um, specifically. She literally just made a general statement about a bad experience in the studio with boys to men. That's it. And you know my motto, E, keep it player. You know what yes, I'm saying? So all yes. of, none of this really is in alignment with my personal values. At all. But he said some things in that dialogue that were, he challenged her her credibility, the legitimacy of her work, her contributions her, her to the music Her vocal industry, ability. Her vocal ability. He, he like went in and Candy didn't. And so for me, right. that's why I feel like he's the person who's wrong in this situation. And I hope Candy comes back and say something about them kids. Wait, hold on. Wait. <laughs> well, I would tell. Ain't nothing even wrong with his kids. You know but damn, what? if you want to talk shit, we gonna talk it. You, okay? you shocked the shot me with that one. So, um, <laughs> oh my God, your ass is shell, as we say in the country. Dustin, your ass is all the way shell. Okay. <laughs> Woo! So I totally concur. Uh, yeah. Wanye is completely wrong because Wanye 
is not being a professional. That's really At what this all. shit comes down to. Yes. Candy, and even in session, I understand what she's saying. It's like, let's not even continue until we have alignment and agreement as to what the splits are going to look like. Because now, that's Abby, how shit gets started. Mm-hmm. Let me say this. And 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 this is, I did not mean to cut you off. In the no, go ahead. Thought, so I'm sorry, but this just came to me. Mm-hmm. You and I do business together, right? We do. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have a, a a mutual respect for the work that we do together. We have a, a respect for each other's professionally. Yep. We and so that we take care of our business and, and we have a respect for what the business being taken care of means to the yep. success of our situation. Wanye should have had that POV. Why was that a personal attack against you? Because he's not a professional. That's what you, the the first thing you said, Dustin, we do business together as professionals. You're a professional. I'm a professional. Even when I first picked up the phone to call you, it was with the respect of you and your professional capacity. Okay. For real. And I appreciated that, which made me eager to be as respectful to yours in, in the capacity of and, us working and you every way. But yeah. it did. That's yeah, what I don't the, understand. The, why, why did he take that? He's why not did a make profession. Because he's... Okay. It's people that are in the profession mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean they're professionals. Yeah. See what I'm saying? It's a difference. It's a distinction. Wanye is in the profession. Motherfucker's not a professional. I can tell that because even at the end of his... What you call the shit? The IG Live. Right. He hit you with the most uncle ass shade, mm-hmm. which is, I could take her or leave her. Now, if that's it, when somebody says, Man. I could take you or leave you, Man. put a fork in it. It's, it's done. done. Yep. It's done. Um, they were so, being very ghetto and careless. Uh, yeah. Boyz II Men is such a legacy group, you know, R&B marquee group. And his wife is in the background of an Instagram live talking about she want to go over Candy's house. How many children? Don't they have six kids? And I was going to tell you, I'm, I'm a stand for one more. Okay. If y'all don't know... These young brothers and the sister, everybody All can fucking sing, sing their faces off. So I want Wanye and his wife to get off the fucking live. Be not, they actually should be on the phone with Clyde Davis right now. Okay. Seriously. 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 And anybody else in the record industry that can really magnify these young men, because I don't know why these young men are still on Instagram, you know, because, because they Because their are. ghetto ass parents are also right. on Instagram being mm. ghetto. That's why. That's what that is. That's mm. why. And it's a shame. Boys to men, they, they're above this, this sort of um, engagement, this conversation. When we talk about boys to men in the media, it should not be attached to something as messy and as, as this. So messy. Uh, yeah. Like, that, that's on. my first thought. I'm just like, why is this energy, all this energy should be it geared should be towards so the magnifying it. of, yeah, these this next generation of talent. Because people can't even sing no more. You know, they truth can't. be told. So, I, you know, when I'm looking for my feel of just singing, singing, I literally go through the archives. I've spent up to an hour. You know, I'm not afraid to admit it, Dustin Ross, you know, yep. on the Juan Moore page. Yep. Just going down boys, the, I was, I was the covers. I was blown away. Blown yeah. away by those children singing. The two girls and four boys. The girls, too. Right. The girls are bad to the bone. They can all sing. Yes. And I just don't understand why this is what we're focused on. When we, when we have all this talent... Get your generational wealth together and put them kids there in a group and get to get their ownership of the music together and let's keep this thing rolling. You have bigger fish s- to fry. I want to say one more thing. And I don't know Candy Burrs personally. I've yet mm-hmm. to meet the sister. But what mm-hmm. I do know, 
based off of this situation we're talking about, based off of the recent headlines around Candy's um, movement, I'll mm-hmm, call it mm-hmm, navigation mm-hmm. of the situation with Bravo and, and what I'm referring to here, if you haven't read yes. it, New York Magazine did what I think is an excellent uh, journalistic profile on, on something that they're calling the soul of Bravo. And it's great. It's a great piece. I have a couple quotes in it. Other people have some quotes in it. But to me, Dustin, the most profound quotes I got from the whole damn piece were the Candy quotes. Because if you read the piece and you see how Candy is moving, Candy is explicit when she talks about when the uprisings of 2020 happened in the wake of George Floyd and and basically everybody, including the network. realized we need to do something. Candy, to my understanding, was the only individual that actually took a clear and articulable list of action items to the network to be executed. Now, what did she take to the network, Ebony? Just so that I'm gonna run them down. What did she take? Because that's it. You said something, Ebony. Yes, she took number one. Why are there no black production companies that have pre-approval for full throttle technical production of Bravo content? Mm-hmm. That's a problem. And as Candy talks about in the in the piece, and you know, talked about in real life, many of us, including myself, and you, and, you know, we all have production companies, you know, that are front facing. Yeah. But mm-hmm. she's talking about production companies that literally run the cameras run the lights, run the audio. Yes. They actually create the infrastructure to develop this wonderful content that we all do from an editorial creative lens. That's number one. She said, Bravo, I want to see several black owned technical production companies pre-approved to make Bravo content. And guess what, Dustin, it happened. And right Mm -hmm. now there are not one, but more than one black owned technical production companies that are currently doing Bravo content, immediate change in action and course. Also, she said, I want a pipeline where there are more graduates from HBCUs that are going into the network page program. For those that don't know, the networks page program is the, is the introductory part of the pipeline that says you can go in from a page, next thing you know, you're a production assistant or you're a broadcast assistant, and then you're a manager, and then you're a director, and then you're a VP, and then you're an executive. That's how it works. So Candy's saying, I want to see a direct invitation to graduates and students coming from HBCUs to be interns for the network and to be introduced to this page pipeline program. It's happening. Boom. Another thing Candy said she wanted to see um, was an elevation of promotions of black executives at the network. You know, there are black people that work for the network, of course, but are they being supported, promoted and uh, 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 being facilitated to the highest echelons of corporate leadership? Yeah. So and that's just a few, you know, of the things that I can just remember off the top of my head. So when I read it, Dustin. I said, okay, Candy's operating really on a different level. You know, I'm just going to say it plain. This is a woman. I'm sorry. And I'm just, I just have to say it the way I read it. This is a woman that is understanding on a visceral level, 
the way you have to navigate these corporate spaces and the way in which you have to demand courses of action that actually make impactful, systematic change for Black people at the highest levels. And that's what I see Candy Burris doing. So I think that's applicable. Interpret that how you want. I think it's applicable to the way I now understand and so deeply respect the way she's moving with, with this network that I'm affiliated with now, Bravo. Yes, yes. And our parent network, to be clear, which touches damn near 50% of media, okay? Yes. And then you've got it here with this Wanye shit. You know, she is just a woman. And, and listen, here's the reality. It's not going to sit well with everybody, Dustin. You know this. When yeah. you come into a space and you and you lead with the business and you lead with the perception of, you know, a business-like mindset and professional movement, it, it ain't for everybody. Who you said a mouthful, Ebony? Did I say too it's much? Not for, it's not for everybody. And that's what <laughs> I might have said too much. But... but you said too much just the right way. That's the okay. thing. And it was necessary information because guess what? You're right. Candy was moving in ways that were 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 efficient. Ways that were getting things di- getting things done. Excuse me, like you said, she had a list of action items mm-hmm. that would lead to equitable opportunities for Black people in entertainment and in systematic ways. You know, versus 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 one offs. And I'm not knocking one offs. One offs can be a step no. towards progress. Progress is progress, and progress is progress, and we love it all all the same. But Dustin, if we have a choice between a one off. And in, in implementing a structure that gives go. us systematic, continual, sustained change and equity, come on. Come on. Well, okay. I'm going to say one more thing. It's probably too much. I don't give a fuck. It's my show. That's um, right. When people move the way Candy is moving, for some reason, and I, I, I'm very pragmatic and not an overly emotional person when it comes to shit like this, so I don't get it. But people seem to take that movement personally. Mm. And that's the rub. I think that's what we're seeing with the Wanye shit. Like you said, this woman is understanding, because I do think she tends to be a couple steps ahead of the game in, in all areas that she operates in. And so she was adopting what's now a standard modern practice of doing song credit sharing splits. Yeah. At a time that I guess it wasn't as customary for the old school, because Wanye said that about fifteen fucking times in the IG live. I'm from the old school. I'm from the uh, old. School. All right, sound, motherfucker, we you get sound it. like it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, Candy's not from the old school. Okay, this woman is with the modern business practice. That's so right. there we go. And her operating that way, Wanye at least, and I guess the whole group took it personally. And that's what I want to normalize, Dustin, mm-hmm. is for people to not take another person's choice of business operation personally. Mm -hmm. It's not personal. It's the business. Period. And, and, And there's a lot of layers to that, right? Like you have to have, to me, the biggest, um, component that needs to be present for for business dealings to go successfully is respect simply respect yeah if you have respect for the project for what for the work that you're doing if you're doing something that you love and is passionate for you you want it to be 
in its best form. Yeah. And, and that takes people really staying in their lane and being good at what it is they're there to do. You have to have a respect for that. And that includes doing good business by people and with yeah. people. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I Wanye, please. Wanye, please. And you know, the last thing that it requires too uh, is trust of intention. What I don't think was at play with this Wanye boys to men thing, I'll just stay there because that's the story we're talking about, was a trust of intention. I think, Dustin, sometimes when people, again, are moving in a strictly business format, people start getting like suspicious of motive. So now when Candy's just talking about a standard song share split issue, is she trying to take advantage of us? We don't move like that. What you trying to do? Why all of that suspicion? You know, that's the problem versus giving people maybe some either benefit of the doubt or just having more clarity around. Because that's the other thing. You shouldn't even be doing business with people if you don't trust their intention around Hello, you. somebody. Hello. Can we, can we start there? Why are we doing business? I mean, let's go back to you and I and, I and our business relationship. One of the strengths of our business relationship, Dustin, and I so appreciate you for it, is we have mutual trust of one another's intention. Absolutely. So and I mean if that. We're yeah. In, yeah, if we're in negotiation around a cycle, then it's I, you trust that I'm going to do the absolute best by you that I fiscally can. Yeah. And the minute that trust isn't there, we have a problem because and, and, that's that's it. And that's why people need to be a little bit more selective and intentional about their choices when it comes to what they take on professionally. You, you could have been more selective about who you worked with. And damn it, if you didn't know Candy, if you didn't know her ways and the, the, her, her business right, practices, her business you practices. should not have been working with her. Because now here we are. 30 fucking years later and you're online. And you talking about bitch. some, I can take it or leave it. Thank Bye. you. And talking about this girl's voice and trying to diminish the, her yeah. accomplishments. That yeah. was just really, really trifling and sad to me, Ebony. And I, I you know, I'm all for a good, you know, battle. Okay. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. that was just, it wasn't, it wasn't fair. It just wasn't fair to me. No. And it really, like you said, and we'll wrap it up here. It, it really made him look bad very, you know it was in his effort to make candy look bad he made his own ass look yeah. real bad and bitch like for sure but listen jurors we we love and appreciate y'all as always we want to thank y'all for listening follow us subscribe give us a review give us a rating keep hitting us up in our dms and our comments letting us know what stories you like what you want to hear yes. more of because Dustin and I, we read that yeah. shit, y'all. And we love you. And we we love that y'all are co-producing this show with us. We truly do. Remember, y'all, Holding Court comes to you from Uppity Productions. It's an association with Dossie Media. And always presented by the Black Effect Network from iHeartRadio. Audio services provided by our people at One of One Productions, y'all. We love them so much. Love them. Please check them out. Go to their Instagram, uh, their Facebook, oneofoneproductions.com. Join us next time when we are back in session uh, each and every week here at Holden Court. And in the meantime, y'all, please stay safe, keep the faith. And as always, Dustin Ross, what should the people do? Read them damn terms and them conditions. And understand your business practices.